I'm Dave Mitchell, and uh, as of today, I'm still one of the pastors here at Calvary Church, and look forward to worshiping with you together. We are in a series that we're beginning today. It's a good Sunday for you to be here with us. You have an outline that I prepare for you every Sunday morning that I'm up here and uh, enjoy doing so, because we want you to take something home, not just because we will try to remember in our brain, but because we can write it down and remember it. And just as a reminder, because it's been a lot of routine just a little bit. On the back side, we always provide what we call the digging deeper, additional information, background information, other references that we don't have time to get to on a Sunday morning. So these are opportunities for us to be able to grow in our faith, and we encourage you to use those. We use them in our life group as well. And uh, as we begin this journey, it is all about the followers. The followers are those disciples of Jesus Christ. Literally the disciples, but we want to look at some others. We're going to go through this series all the way through the month of December as we look at the various followers of Jesus Christ. It segues very nicely with what we've just been experiencing the month of September. The month of September was all about discipleship. We want to help train. We want to multiply. We want to reach other people. We want to help people grow in their faith. It is not for us just to grow stagnant and stale. And uh, we want people to grow in their faith. And so that's part of the discipleship emphasis. Now, let me just set it up in this way. If you are a UCLA Bruins fan, if you are a USC Trojans fan, if you are a California Anaheim Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim fan, then you have had a very bad, no good weekend because it's just incredible the things that have happened. But let me just focus in on the one team, the Angels, the California Anaheim Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Let me just focus on them for a moment. And it's hard to get on their business card. I'm not a professional athlete, as you can clearly see. I don't know what it's like. But I prophesied, I prophetically foretold the future of what's now happening to the angels. And let me tell you why. When they won the division, they were on a hot streak. And then after they won the division, what, what do they do? Do you rest the regulars or do you play the regulars? What do you do? And so they did do some resting. They did some relaxing. They probably had massages and yoga and things like that going on. And they sort of sigh of relief. And so then they just sort of waited, who are they going to play, the A's or the Royals? The A's and the Royals, they kept up the intensity. They were working hard. They had to defeat the other team. To the very 11th hour, metaphorically speaking, they battled to the very, very end while the angels were resting. And they're still resting. (laughs) They're still relaxed. They've lost the edge. Maybe tonight they'll turn it around. I don't know. But from wow, my, I said, I, I fear that they won it so easily and so quickly, and now they rest. And how do you ever get back up to that level? I don't know what it's like to be a professional athlete, but it's a whole other level of life. And the intensity and the concentration and the skill level that's required to do so well. And so that was my prophetic word, and I'm sticking with it. Now, why am I talking about the California Anaheim, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? Because it's an illustration that gets your attention, number one, unless you hate sports. But secondly, it illustrates what we want to talk about with the followers. 
and the whole thing of discipleship. Sometimes you have these peaks of success and you feel like, okay, now I can just sort of sit back and just take it easy. I've done what all that I need to do and I can just sit back and I can just rest. I can rest in the laurels of those things that I have accomplished and I can just sort of slide on into home. And home being heaven. In the Christian life, like in the pastorate, I joke about this all the time. In the pastorate, we're never done. We're not a UPS truck driver where we look in the back and it's empty at the end of the day and say, good night, truck, I'm done. I never go home at night thinking I'm done. I'm just now going to get some rest to continue the next day and the next day and the next day. And in the Christian life, we're never done. Rest is for heaven. The book of Hebrews talks about rest in heaven. We enter into our rest Our rest is not retirement. Our rest is not vacation. Our rest is not a weekend away where we don't have to go to church. Our rest is in heaven. And I fear that we who want to be followers of Jesus Christ get into this mindset that we think that now I can just take it easy. I'm no longer working. I'm retired. I'm taking vacation. And somehow my faith does not need to continue to grow and to be seasoned, to be sharpened. My, my mental and my biblical mindset to understand their issues of life. I can never sit back and get relaxed because the enemy, the enemy never rests. Satan and his demons and the evil of this world, they never rest. And I think that I can sort of take it easy and then sort of step it up at the right moment when God wants to do a work outside of the miracle, the Holy Spirit quickening us and giving us the strength. I am kidding myself. And so we want to be followers of Jesus. Not that we're exhausted and we're uh, guilted into always exercising because there are aspects of that peacefulness of trusting the Spirit of God to work through us. But I don't want us to have the mindset that we can just sit back and just sort of think, I've accomplished all God ever wants me to accomplish, and so therefore, I guess all I have to look forward to, as I'm just joking with the choir, is my memorial service that somebody else will have to worry about because I won't be there. We want to have the intensity, that that Spirit-led intensity, that we have a calling from God to follow Jesus and never slip away from the intensity of trusting Him, a zeal for Him, and a pursuit for Him of all things that He's called us to do. And to do it in the power of the Spirit, where I don't exhaust myself, but I don't have this, this sense like, okay, we can just take it easy until the next game. No, we continue to pursue it. The followers are men that for three years they followed Jesus Christ. And there was an intensity and a fortitude and a perseverance and a sharpening and a quickening and a refining that they went through as they followed Jesus Christ. I want us to learn from those men. The first man we're going to learn from is this man, Andrew. What I love about Andrew is that I think of all the disciples, I am the one that I can think I can identify with him most. The reason I think I can identify with Andrew the most is because Andrew, as I say here, is an ordinary person who has extraordinary impact. If there is one compliment that in my... Uh, Uh, numbers of years of ministry I've heard from people in both in Corona and Lodi and now here in Calvary Church that if there's one compliment that I hear the most about me it is this and maybe it's not even a compliment I don't know (laughs) I'm just giving people the benefit of the doubt Um, that Dave what we love about you is that you're so ordinary (laughs) 
I take it as a compliment. It might, be, it might be a criticism. I don't know. But I take it as a compliment. And that's why I love Andrew. He's an ordinary guy. Andrew never wrote a book. He never spoke to thousands like Peter did in Acts chapter 2. Andrew's the brother of Peter, the apostle. Andrew, Peter, two brothers, but two very different people. Same parents, two very different personalities. Peter's this dynamic, charismatic, strong leader, type A guy. He gathers a crowd in Acts 2 and he preaches to thousands. 3,000 people are saved and baptized. Incredible. Andrew never did that. In fact, it's interesting that Peter and Andrew are brothers. John and James are brothers, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. And they would gather with Jesus and sometimes Andrew's not even mentioned, but he's part of that four, the very personal four that followed Jesus. Often it was just the three that are mentioned. Andrew is often left out. The Mount Transfiguration where the three were there, Andrew is never mentioned. So Andrew is often overshadowed by his brother Peter, overlooked, minimized, underappreciated, not acknowledged, lack of recognition, didn't get honored, didn't get the badge of three years of faithfulness with Jesus. Peter, though, upon this rock, Peter, you, I'm going to build this church. Andrew didn't get that. So if you're the kind of person like me that often is very ordinary, sort of vanilla, because I love vanilla. Joy loves chocolate. I love vanilla. Sort of regular, just going about day-to-day activity. Nobody's coming to say, would you write a book? Can we do a movie about your life? (laughs) Nobody's coming from MTV to do a reality show about Dave and Joy. It's too boring. If, if you are like that, pretty ordinary, but have a heart for Jesus and just want to love Him and serve Him, and sometimes you feel a little under-recognized, sometimes you feel a little under-appreciated, sometimes you think nobody knows or nobody cares, and maybe you're overshadowed by a sibling or a parent or a friend who sort of is the recognized one. If you're sort of like that, then Andrew's your guy. And we want to learn from him. Because Andrew was an ordinary man that had extraordinary impact. So how can an ordinary person like many of us in this room have extraordinary impact? And as I studied through the life of Andrew, Andrew's only mentioned nine times in the New Testament. Nine times. He could have been mentioned more, but often he was just sort of overlooked. (laughs) Because he was there, but they just didn't mention him. And so... We want to learn from Andrew, and there are three things that I noticed about Andrew that made him have this extraordinary impact. Andrew and Peter grew up in this northern part of the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen. Literally, they fished for fish. And so he and Peter and James and John, they were all over this area of the world. And uh, Capernaum, you see them mentioned there. This is the regional land that we will find them. And this is where Jesus comes on the scene. And I want us to read a text in John chapter 1 and show you the setup for introducing Andrew. Andrew was the first disciple that Jesus called. I'm going to read from John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read it. I don't have it on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair right in front of you. You're welcome to have that free of charge Take it home with you. It is your Bible. 
But in John chapter 1, verse 29, we read this about John the Baptist. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he who on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John acknowledging the deity of Jesus Christ. He has existed before John the Baptist. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested in Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and it remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist acknowledging to the crowd that is around him, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, verse 35, where it becomes relevant for today's message. And again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Those two are John, the writer of John, and Andrew, the man that we want to look at today. And he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Notice that John typically does not recognize himself when he writes about his own story. But even Andrew is not mentioned here in verse 37. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. Depending upon what calendar, what clock, probably 4 p.m. is the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. And notice how Andrew is introduced to us. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, if I'm Andrew, I'm like, good grief, can't you just recognize me as Andrew? Do I always have to be Peter's brother? Peter hasn't even been introduced in John's, chap- John's gospel yet. So Andrew was one of the two, and we believe that John, the author of John, the apostle John, was the other one. And it says, and he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translates Translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Interesting. Interesting. Jesus goes right over Andrew's head to Peter. <laughs> wait, 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 Jesus, I'm Andrew. Hello, can you see me? Uh, you know. No, right to Peter. You're the rock. I'm going to build this church. So what do we learn about Andrew. I love this guy, and I, love, I know that Jesus loves him, and never, obviously, I'm, meaning, I'm not meaning to say he diminished him in any way, but this is what I love about Andrew, and this is why Andrew is an ordinary guy with extraordinary impact because of these three things. The first I notice is this, that he faithfully seeks to know Jesus. I will have extraordinary impact if I'm the kind of guy that, ex- that uh, has this desire to know Jesus. And I know that's, well, well, of course, well, of course. But notice what it says. 
And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? Now Jesus knew the answer to the question, but he loves to ask questions. He always asks questions. And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? What I love about Andrew is this. Andrew was in a place to allow God to work in his life. Andrew was not off in the middle of the Sea of Galilee when he knew that John the Baptist is preaching his heart out about the coming of the Messiah. That's why I read back in verse 29. The day before this day of verse 35, John is preaching about the Messiah. I I didn't know him, but I didn't recognize him, although they sort of grew up together and cousins and all that. But he said, I didn't recognize him, but I saw the Spirit of God come. I believe Andrew was there. He heard him the day before. I am available, Andrew says. I want to be where God is. I want to be where God is working. John the Baptist, God's working through you. I want to be all over that. So the next day, as John the Baptist is wandering around, behold the Lamb of God, Andrew's there. And because Andrew is there, he is there where the Messiah is. Because he is there where the Messiah, Jesus is. Jesus says, Andrew, you're one of mine. And when he says, where are you staying? Jesus says, come on over. It's four o'clock. Let's have dinner together. And they did. They remained that evening together in some rented home that Jesus was staying in. But what I love about Andrew is that he was seeking to know Jesus. He wasn't resting on his laurels. He wasn't taking a nap. Oh, there's places for rest and nap. But he wasn't just sitting back, just doing nothing. He was seeking to know Jesus, even in the midst of his occupation as a fisher of fish. Andrew was available. It's being there available to know Jesus, where God suddenly works through us. This last Tuesday... We have what we call stories chapels with our staff. Every Tuesday morning we have staff chapel. And we have stories chapel. And I wish I could relate to you. I don't have permission by anybody, but I'll do it anonymously in this way. That one of our pastors shared this. He said, I was here, uh, I had to ask him to do it. I had to, I had to twist his arm, metaphorically speaking, but I would have done it literally if he hadn't shared, to get his, his little testimony out. But he was here two Wednesday nights ago and saw this gentleman that was talking to one of our uh, women's staff. And so he said, I should stay around. I don't know what's going on because he looks like he's maybe a little lost being here. So he goes up to him, finds out that he's a patient that just came from Western Med, came over here seeking help, didn't know where to go. So this pastor takes over this conversation with this man. This man tells a story, and so our pastor is able to pray with him, share the gospel with him. I don't know whether he came to believe in Jesus and be born again. I don't know about that. But he was able to witness to him, and he asked the man, how else can I help you? And he says, well, I have no shoes. So this pastor of Calvary Church, not me, this other pastor of Calvary Church, takes off his shoes and gives them to this man. And then he has to call his wife, can you bring me some shoes for my... Because I'm going to meet with someone. That man who came on our campus had no idea that he would be encountering people to not only hear the gospel, be prayed over, but now he has shoes that will always be a reminder that when I encounter believers 
their love is manifest in very physical ways. He won't articulate it like that, but there's something about that that touches his heart. That story, amongst many others that we have had, we've seen it in our life group. Well, one person shares about a need, and we had a brand new man in our church, in our life group last time. First time there. And that brand new man is able to speak into this other man's life about needs that he was expressing. And because that brand new man happened to be there, he could speak into this other man's life. And there was this connection that went on. And had he not been there, there would be no connection. It's an amazing thing when I say, God, I want to be available. I want to know Jesus. I want to be where Jesus is. As Jesus was wandering to John the Baptist, Andrew was there, not by happen chance, not by coincidence, not because he just stumbled upon him. Andrew was there by purpose, by intention. But as he says, John the Baptist is where God is working. I want to be near where God is working because he was near where God is working. He was there when Jesus came. And he became the very first follower of Jesus Christ, one of the official twelve. Not by happen chance, not stumbling along and and just sort of waking up late and, oh, what's going on? No, I'm there because I want to be where God is. And that's what I love about Andrew. Faithfully seeking to know the Lord and be where God is. Be available to where God is working. Be visible where God is working. And acknowledge His presence in my life. And this can be at your place of business. This can be your neighborhood. Just be there watching where God is working. Be available to where God is working. You be Jesus to the people around you. We who are followers, we constantly want to know Jesus so I can recognize Jesus when Jesus is working. That's Andrew. He wanted to know the Messiah. And he was there when the Messiah showed up. Behold the Lamb of God. He says, I don't want to miss that for a moment. I love what A.W. Tozer says about this kind of a follower. Great theologian, teacher. A.W. Tozer says, A true and safe leader is likely to be one who has no desire to lead, but is forced into a position by the inward pressure of the Holy Spirit and the press of circumstances. That may have been Andrew. There was hardly a great leader from Paul to the present day, but was drafted by the Holy Spirit for the task and commissioned by the Lord to fill a position he had little heart for. The man who is ambitious to lead is disqualified as a leader. The true leader will have no desire to lord it over God's heritage, but will humble, be humble, gentle, self-sacrificing, and altogether ready to follow when the Spirit chooses another to lead. I believe that Andrew is being led by the Spirit of God in some miraculous way, and so doing, he is there and available. And Andrew is a humble, gentle, self-sacrificing guy, always known as Peter's brother, always overshadowed by the Peter that we know as this rock, the leader, the evangelist, the book writer, the storyteller. But there's Andrew. And what does Andrew do? Andrew abides intimately with Jesus. The first thing that made Andrew an ordinary person with extraordinary impact is that he was intensely desiring to know Jesus and be where Jesus was. Secondly, he had an ability to abide intimately with Jesus. And once I know Jesus, I abide with Him on a regular basis. 
Again, the text in John 1, And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. That word staying is a favorite word of John the Apostle, the writer of the book of John. He loves that word staying. It's the Greek word meno, M-E-N-O. He loves that word. He uses it repeatedly. Where are you minnowing, he says. Come and you will see. So they saw him and where he was minnowing, they minnowed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour of maybe about 4 p.m. Literally, they abided with Jesus. Now, we can't literally abide with Jesus until we die. So that makes death optimistic. But we can spiritually abide with Jesus. So I take from that this. And in John chapter 15, again, John, same author, same book, but later John writes about the abiding, the minnowing with Jesus. And in John chapter 15, verse 3, we read this. Jesus speaking to them just days before He died. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Abide is the word minnow. Stay. Abide. Abide with me. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it minnows, abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you minnow, abide in me. For I am the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who minnows abides in me, I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. For if anything does not abide or minnow in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be his disciples. There are four, at least four qualities, I'm going to just summarize it for the sake of time, of what it means to abide with Jesus. Ordinary people with extraordinary impact abide with Jesus. They stay with Jesus. Andrew literally, admittedly in his home, we spiritually can abide with Jesus too. What are those things? My heart. I hear his words to be forgiven of my sins. In verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I hear the words of Christ and I say, Lord, clean up my life. Abiding with Jesus is confessing all sins. It is being forgiven of all sins. It is to be as holy as God is. As we're taking communion in just a moment, you need to abide with Jesus to have the right to take communion. I need to be as holy as God is to commune with Him. And so if you're not abiding with Jesus right now, you're kind of doing your own thing, kind of playing games with God, kind of being duplicitous, duplicitous, double-minded, You're not abiding with Jesus. And candidly, you're not going to have extraordinary impact outside of a crazy miracle of God like He did with Jonah. Jonah wasn't abiding with Jesus, but he had a big impact in converting Nineveh. It's credible. But that's, that's not the norm. Secondly, my attitude. I'm dependent on Jesus for any good results, not my own strength. As verse 4 points out, Abide in me and I in you as the branches cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I can't bear fruit unless I'm abiding in Jesus. There's going to be no picking of my fruit if I don't have an abiding of Jesus. I am totally dependent upon what God does. 
Every time I try to do what I'm doing right now to preach, I try to be as, as clever and as smart and witty and funny. And, you know, every preacher gets every, has those thoughts. And unless the Spirit of God's working in your heart and my heart, we're just wasting our time. It could be just another show. There's a lot of churches that are just shows. You can work it up. You can make a big fanfare. You can have an extravaganza of music and drama and all that kind of stuff. But the Spirit of God's not doing it. It means nothing. With the kingdom of God, it's nothing. So my attitude is one of dependence for any good that comes. Whether I'm witnessing at work, my neighborhood, discipling someone, the fruit comes from God. Thirdly, my strength, I seek help from God through prayer. Verse 7, I abide with Jesus. If you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, there's an abiding of God's words, Jesus' words and Jesus' life. Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Ask and I'll do it for you. My abiding with Jesus proves that my strength comes through my prayer life that says, God, I have this need. God, I have this issue. God, I have this praise. God, whatever you want to do through me, I'm going to trust you for it. I'm going to ask you for it because I'm abiding in you and your words are abiding in me. And as we abide together, we stay together. Literally, we spiritually stay together. God, I'm going to ask you for this because you promised to answer my prayer to you. Abiding in Jesus, like Andrew abided with Jesus that evening, is where his strength becomes my strength. And his fruit is my fruit. And I have this beauty of his words constantly cleansing my heart of sin and bringing purity back into my heart. And then finally, my goal is not to be proud of what I do, but to prove that I'm his followers, to glorify God. In verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and prove to be my disciples. How are we proving that we are His disciples? What's the proof? Is there evidence? Could people say, yeah, you're a disciple. I can see the fruit. I see the proof. Because we bring glory to God. There's too many people who are out there doing the work and they're bringing glory to themselves. But God says, I didn't do this for you to have glory for yourself, but for me. So Andrew is a man with ordinary is an ordinary man with extraordinary impact because he, first of all, sought to know Jesus and be where Jesus is working. Secondly, he wanted to abide with Jesus and these qualities were in his life. And then finally, he brings all people and issues to Jesus. Andrew is the great connector. Andrew is the person who brings others to Jesus Christ. Because he recognized he can't do it, but Jesus can. Notice the three things that he brings to Jesus. He brings people to Jesus for Jesus to change. In John chapter 1, 41 and 42, when he first found his own brother, first person he goes to was his own brother, Simon Peter. And he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. He brings the older, more powerful Type A, dynamic brother. And he's always lived in the shadow of Peter, but he brings Peter so that Peter could do even greater things. The beauty about how God works is he takes ordinary people like us and helps us to bring other people that will have even a larger impact for the kingdom of God. That's how he has this vision. He says, I can't do what Peter, I can't preach to thousands in Acts 2, but I have a brother that can, so if I bring the brother to him, I'll let him do it. And that's what happens. 
There's an old, old story. I've had this thing for years, and many of you have heard this before. But just to help drive it home one more time, I love this old story. And so forgive me if it's too old for some of you. Being youthful uh, as I am, it's not too old for me. But you probably have heard of D.L. Moody, right? Everybody knows D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody is saved because it was a guy by the name of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball would rock by the bookstore where Moody was working, and Kimball wanted to reach out to this guy, this young kid that's working in the books, uh, not the bookstore, the, the shoe store, and he wants to reach out to him, and, he, and he's very hesitant because he doesn't feel very qualified. He's kind of an Andrew kind of a guy. This is what Edward Kimball wrote about his desire to witness to a young guy by the name of D.L. Moody before he was saved. I decided to speak to Moody about Christ, about his soul. I started down to Holton's shoe store when I was nearly there. I began to wonder whether I ought to just, uh, I ought to go just then during business hours. I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy. And that's when I went the other way. The clerks might ask who I was. And when they learned, they might taunt Moody and ask if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. While I was pondering over it all, I passed the store without noticing it. Then when I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over him once. He says later, I never could remember just what I did say about Christ and his love. That was all. He admitted he was a weak appeal, a very poor witness. As finally Edward Kimball went into that shoe store and gave the gospel to D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody was saved. I mean, just like one of these miracle things that that I feel like never happens to me, but they do happen out there, right? And he's saved. D.L. Edward Kimball, who? (coughs) D.L. Moody, Moody Bible Institute, travels around the world with uh, airplanes and everything else that has a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kimball was the Andrew of D.L. Moody, where God blessed through D.L. Moody in ways that he never would bless through Kimball. I encourage us to be the people that brings other people, never realizing, never recognizing that what God might do eventually is change the world through that other person. Secondly, I need to bring things for Jesus to bless and even miraculously provide. I need to do that. In John chapter 6, we don't have time to get into it, but in John 6, he's got thousands of people, maybe 15,000 people all together, gathered together with Jesus. And Jesus asks one of his disciples, where are we going to get bread for all these people? He said that, testing him to see if he would trust him. And Philip says, I don't know where we're going to get bread. But Andrew then comes along. Andrew comes along, one of his disciples named Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, again, Simon Peter's brother. Love this guy. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are these for so many people? Andrew takes what is a very small, inadequate, impossible little lunch from a little kid and brings it to Jesus. And if you know the story, I hope you do, he takes that and he feeds 15,000 people probably with these five loaves and two fish. And there are 12 baskets left over. God does a miracle. God loves for us to take what little we have. And what little we have, I'm gonna, we're going to receive the offering. What little I have, I put it in there. God, I, I wish I could do more. I remember a lady in our church in Lodi. She's a widow woman. 
and she lived on Social Security. I knew how little she would bring in each month just because of some circumstances we were trying to help her with. She could barely get by every month, and she lived in a mobile home, and it was a single wide. It wasn't a double wide with a dropout and all that kind of like they look like mansions today. It was a single wide. Candidly, it was a trailer. And she's living in this trailer, and she would hardly ever give much because she had very little coming in. What I loved about her is that she loved Jesus. She abided with Jesus. It was evident in her life, evident in her spirit. Never complained, but always trusting that little Social Security check would come rolling in and help to pay her bills. She put First Baptist Church of Lodi in her will. She had no kids, no other family. And when it was all said and done, we received a check for $100,000 from her little trailer that we sold. And what little she had, she put in the hands of God. And once she was in heaven, heaven rejoiced at the abundance of her gift that blessed our little church up there in Lodi. It was huge. It's huge for, uh, for here. It's huge that God blessed what little she had. Never mistake what little you have because God can bless it over time in ways you may never see. And then finally, you bring issues and struggles to Jesus. And what happened here in John chapter 12? There are some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. And these then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And what's happening here is sort of this big picture thing that's going on. This is just days before Jesus is going to be crucified. Jesus goes on later to say, my hour has come. And what's happening is that because these men are living in the same area where these Greeks are coming from, they go to Philip. Philip says, I can't handle this thing. Goes to Andrew. Andrew says, I'll take care of it. They go to Jesus. Jesus, we got some Greeks. By this time, Jesus is such a spectacular superstar amongst many there feeding people, raising the dead, miracles of healing of lepers. And so people are coming, and maybe the disciples are sort of guarding him. I don't want to get anybody too close to Jesus now. He's being overwhelmed by everybody. So the Greeks go to Andrew eventually, and Andrew then goes to Jesus. Now why the Greeks? Because God is just saying in John chapter 12, you read the text, the fields are white unto harvest. And as soon as the Greeks, the Gentiles... The Gentiles had no relationship with the Jews. They were outcast. They were considered to be dogs. You wouldn't eat with them. But here now the Gentiles are coming to Jesus. Seekers of truth. The Greeks, they were seekers of truth. They come to Jesus. And Jesus now finally says, My hour has come. In John 2, the, the wedding at Cana, when Mary came to Him, we, we don't have any wine. Jesus said to Mary, My hour has not yet come. But now in John 12, when the Greeks, the Gentiles, start coming to Jesus, Jesus says, yeah, the fields are white unto harvest. My hour has come. Now it is time for me to give up my life because now we're going to welcome in the Gentiles into this new kingdom that I'm about to establish called the church. And there's this conflict between Jew and Gentile. But Andrew says, I can't handle this, but Jesus, you can so I bring it to you. The beauty of Andrew as an ordinary guy with extraordinary impact, he was available to work 
where Jesus was working. He abided with Jesus on a regular basis. And thirdly, whatever he couldn't handle, he gave it to Jesus. People he couldn't change like Peter. Issues and finances that he didn't have enough of, he brings it to Jesus and Jesus multiplies it. Struggles and conflicts of other ethnic origins, Greeks and Gentiles, he brings it to Jesus. And in so doing, the work of God expands through so many other people's lives. And so the questions are, who can I bring to Jesus that needs the change that only Jesus can give? What things do I bring to Jesus that I think are so small, so minimal, so inconsequential? Let God bless and multiply. And what are those issues and people and struggles like the Greeks? God, I abide with you. I ask from you. Bring healing. Bring salvation. Bring redemption to them. Let's bring those things to Jesus. And when we do, we'll have extraordinary impact will last forever. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you're the mighty God that we can trust in. Father, I suspect that there are any number of us that have an identity with an Andrew where we feel like we're underappreciated, maybe lack recognition, and yet we're faithful to abide with you. No notoriety, no great messages, no great speaker, no great books. But God, in your economy, There's a greatness because of the impact of living the kind of life that Andrew lived to make a difference in other people's lives. Encourage us, Father, to walk that walk and live it for you. Father, help us along the way as we empower by your Spirit to abide with you now. In Jesus' name, amen.